Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, dear Wendale people. I was really delighted to get a text from Mark this week, early Thursday afternoon, asking me to fill in for him, and I'm so delighted he did. Uh, I told a few of you out there before the service, I kind of feel like your assistant minister for world missions. And... Uh, that's good, and that puts me close to you. Uh, you remember I served you on two stints for six months as your interim minister. I served another church for a year once as interim minister. So I like doing that, and we want to continue to pray for Mark. And Mark, that's what we've been doing in our home for you, and... Uh, we just want you to rest a little more and take it easy and come back when you're a stronger man. Uh, I rejoice because I could step in and I'd like to visit any of you who wind up in the hospital somewhere and in physical shape. I want to know about that. Uh, I'm also in grief today for a wonderful friend that went home to be the, with the Lord yesterday, uh, Dr. Henry Lewis Smith. Uh, he's 88 years old, served a number of churches, was in the ministry for 63 years. I got to know him because he brought students both to college, Bellhaven, and Reform Seminary. Uh, he was a wonderful guy, believed in the mission statements of both those educational institutions, and we shared a love of history and the love of church history, especially Presbyterian history, and uh, we often chatted about it. In fact, I had a note on my desk to call him, and when we talked on the phone, we talked for about 45 minutes or an hour. Uh, talking about different history and the books we've been reading. A uh, very interesting guy, but the Lord has taken him. And I don't know why I spoke to him in November, I think, and was looking forward to visiting with him again. So prayed for his family, wonderful family, four children, grandchildren, out of the ceiling. And uh, But he's a wonderful servant of the Lord, and he is rejoicing in the Lord today. And... We rejoice because we know that death is not final, and that's been his proclamation for 63 years at least. All right, today I want to bring you a passage of Scripture, uh, a psalm that I've loved for a long time and actually prayed through it many times. Psalm 85, Psalm 85. A uh, wonderful one, and we'll talk about it. Let's read it, and then we'll break it down. Let me just say that it breaks down very easily into three parts. The first three verses, one section, talking about the past, and then verses 6 to 7 talks about his present yearnings, his present, really, requests of the Lord. And then verses 8 to 13 talks about his confidence and assurance in the Lord, uh, what the Lord will do. But let's read this. Psalm 85. 
Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Let's bow in prayer. God, we do rejoice to come before you today. We have entered your courts with thanksgiving. We have entered into the most holy through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have come here to make your praise glorious. And we do that in several ways. We are now opening up the word of truth. What you have spoken to us through your servants of old. Led inspired of your spirit to inerrantly give us messages from heaven. Messages from grace. Messages that will gladden our hearts. So as we come, we remember several people. We want want to pray for Pastor Mark. Bless him, quicken him in every way. Give him a good appetite. Strengthen him physically, which I know in turn will strengthen him in some spiritual ways, though he needs the leading of your spirit day by day. Bless him, his caretakers, the doctors, as they analyze his situation. And I want to pray for my the family of my now glorified brother, Dr. Henry Lewis Smith, bless his family, comfort them. I know in many ways they are saddened, but they are also in many ways rejoicing for him. He blessed the PCA in many ways. Wherever he served, we thank you, Lord, for his gifts, his abilities. Send more like him, we pray. We pray for our country, Lord. We know that we must be the salt of the earth. And we pray that we would be quickened in that in many ways. Draw near to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned I served another church for a year. In that church in the narthex, there was a little framed uh, picture, actually the words of this psalm as we find it in verse 6 where we say, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? 
Will you not revive us that your people may rejoice in you? That's a great line. And we need that. I've often prayed for revival. And I think you have too. And you've been led of your pastors to pray for it. What does it mean? We want to talk about that today. Because we are the salt of the earth. We are the salt of our nation. I've been grieved so much over the last few months, actually longer than that, back years, about the temper, the moral temper of our land, where it can be seen in business and in government and so many other ways. And of course that influences us. We can be of the stronger fiber, strongest fiber, as believers, but we'll always be impacted by things that go on around us. But we need to reverse that as much as we can, where we are impacting our culture in many, many ways that we can do it all in our several callings, whether it be a housewife and mother, whether it be a man working on our communication lines or on our Uh, pipes in our home or the wires in our home or whether he be in a fancy office somewhere on a in a 25-story office building whatever it might be we too can have an impact on our culture but how will we do that if we are so watered down spiritually we need to be revived And when we are revived, we will be rejoicing in the Lord. And spiritual lethargy on our part will cause the reverse of what we want. It's a lack of consistently in our spiritual and moral lives. It rears its ugly head. Peace evaporates in our hearts. Joy departs. A malaise sets in. And what's needed is new spiritual vitality. And I looked up the word lethargy. And what does it mean? It's a weakening of uh, our bodies in some ways. Uh, It can be brought on by a disease. But it is often mental first. Uh, And our mental feelings, emotions, and so on affect uh, that physical frame. We've known people to go into depression for various reasons and how that impacts them physically. It happens spiritually as well. The psalmist is seeking a new renewal and revival of spiritual life and the blessing of the Lord on his life and the life of his people and their dealings with the Lord. The Lord once brought desolation on the people and he took them out of their land into a foreign land, a foreign culture, and they had to live there for 70 years. They, in this situation, uh, are addressing the spiritual element of that. And so they are praying, they are seeking the Lord, they want his gracious face turned to them again, though they hardly deserve it. Sin abounds, it's a very selfish sin. People are going their own way, building very fancy homes, 
And the Lord has called them on it. Through the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And this fits in very well with that time period. uh, As recorded in the book of Ezra. And so we want to think about this solemn prayer. God has sent revivals in the past. I remember uh, studying that as I did uh, term paper once on revivals. The history of revivals. And it's a wonderful story how the sovereign Holy Spirit comes and moves in the heart of His people first. We know judgment must begin at the household of God. And it will happen. One day we pray for the health of our nation, for uh, the spiritual life of business uh, and the moral effects on business. People, uh, men, women, to have a Christian moral influence on the ethics of business in our culture today. Judgment must begin with the household of God. We need a restoration of spiritual life and vigor and breath. And when that comes, things will change. But it must begin with us. And it begins with prayer, of course, as we know. God must initiate that work. But we've got to have the desire. We've got to have the prayer on our lips for that to come about. What is revival? What is an awakening? It's not just a man preaching in a sports stadium. It can be, but not always. It's not necessarily a choir singing for hours on end. It can be. That is a good sign of a revival. But it doesn't necessarily happen that way. As I've said, this fits into very nicely the period of post-exile after the people return to their land as recorded in Ezra and Nehemiah. They come back to their land and begin planting crops trying to get their economy going again uh, with farming and other kind of business enterprise and rebuilding their homes. But the people were going too far in that. They built these very elaborate paneled homes as Haggai mentions in his prophecy in chapter 1. Paneled homes, yes. But what about the household of God? What about the temple? That was their primary goal. That was their great commission at that time to build a temple so they could reinstitute the sacrificial worship which, of course, was uh, the focal point of their redemption, their spiritual lives. Uh, Wages of sin is death. There must be a blood sacrifice for sin, which foreshadowed, of course, the cross of Jesus Christ at Calvary. And this is what was going on with the people. So the psalmist begins to pray. He thinks about God's grace in restoring them. In verses 1 through 3, let's look at that. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. Now that doesn't mean just one man, but that means 
the tribe of Jacob, the twelve tribes of Jacob, meaning Israel. Of course, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Lord, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. What great days those were. The people. Another psalm records that they people were rejoicing and waving palm branches, much like Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But before that, hundreds of years, the people had returned and they were delighted about that. You withdrew your wrath. You returned from your hot anger. Those were the days of the exile when God's anger was uh, given against them and they were hauled away en masse to a new land, Babylon, uh, to live for 70 years. This fits so perfectly into the time of the neglect of the people of God. I wonder if that speaks to us today, neglecting God, neglecting what we should be doing. Their worship had not even really begun. I guess it was mostly in their homes, but not their public worship. The temple had not yet been built, so the people immediately start going off building their own homes, but the Lord brought a drought on the people, and that is recorded. There is a drought on this land. And the people are feeling it. Yeah. And it speaks more about what comes from the ground in, in a later verse. But the people were give, given to selfish neglect at this time. It's that me first agenda. And we see that all over our land. Me first. What's going to be good for me? Whatever that means. A raising salary a bigger home, bigger car, uh, whatever it takes to satisfy. So this fits also our day, doesn't it, in so many ways. Business people, they are all politicians, you name it. Everywhere people are just out for number one first. But what are we supposed to be doing as Christian believers? We're supposed to be glorifying God. Our chief and first end is to glorify God. And when we do, we will enjoy Him forever. And that's what this passage is all about, isn't it? He says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? When we know spiritual vitality, we're full of joy. We want the Lord. We want His Word. And He honors that. So this psalmist first is taken up with the past grace of God. He's thinking about that. And also those, not just the writer, but those who are singing this song. It's meant for the singers as well. Alright, this second part in verses 4 to 7. Plead for the grace of God. Plead that God would bring His grace, shine His face again on His people. Come back to us. Put away your indignation toward us. We need your help. That's what we need to be saying to the Lord. We need you. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Of course, repentance is what is needed. Because God didn't move. 
God hadn't changed. God was still there. He would hear them. They had moved. They were away from the will of God. They were not doing what they should have been doing. What will happen? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? That's what we need. What is revival? Think about that. What is revival? Well, if we want God in it, it's got to start with His Word. We've got to believe in the authority of God's Word. We've got to believe in the inerrancy of Scripture that this is the Word of God. That Word will teach us about God's grace. It will teach us about His loving dealings with His people in the past. I remember that episode with Jesus and His disciples as they were on the road to Emmaus. The two disciples were walking sad about what had happened in all the recent three days and the crucifixion of their spiritual leader. And up walks a man, a stranger, and they began to pour out their tears before him, this sad story. He had asked what happened, (laughs) as if he didn't know. And then he began to explain, the Bible says, how it was that Jesus should be suffering and die for the sake of his people. That he came to die. He explained from all the scriptures, beginning with Moses and the prophets, and all the scriptures, the Bible says. And then when they sat down to eat with him, immediately he departed. It was Jesus. And they said, Did not our hearts burn while he opened to us the scriptures? Yes, because he was the best teacher ever. The Lord Jesus Christ. He could explain why that had to be the case. And he did. We've got to have the word of God and it be opened up to us and have our hearts burned by it, warmed by it. But then we should be possessed of the fear of God. We ought to know just exactly what God could do to us if we didn't repent. They had already suffered slavery for 70 years in exile. But think about Ananias and Sapphira. They came to the early church while it was all everybody was in a generous and charitable mood people were giving away uh, certain things some even land that would help the people of God voluntarily so this was not a forced socialism voluntarily people were giving one thing or other Ananias said he sold some land and here was the proceeds but he was lying wasn't all the proceeds. God struck him down. And then here comes his wife, Sapphira, amening him. After the couple of men took the husband out, and then the Lord struck her. Dead! On the spot. God can do that today, and we don't know who all God has taken that way. Maybe some in our midst. 
maybe some in our community that we know, taking them away. And then also, besides the Word of God, besides the fear of God, we need to be convicted of God's righteousness and delight in it. That's what he does here. He says, Will you not revive us? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. Well, where will that come from? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. The perfect righteousness. We need that perfect righteousness from the Lord. If we are to be saved, we must believe in that. That will lead to spiritual life and vigor. That will bring us to where we need to be. All right, then we have this next section, verses 8 through 13. What is he saying here? He says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. Now how are we going to hear the word of God? In the Bible, of course. We've got to resolve to go back to the Bible if we haven't already. If we're not seeking the Lord in his word. We need a deliberate plan and an agenda for this. That's what we need. The Bible, we need to be using the word of God. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak about this situation. Let me go back to the word of the Lord. Now, we've got a big game that's going to be going on today. We all know about it. Super Bowl Sunday. A big game. Now, I've never been in a football locker room, certainly a professional one or even a college one. I remember some early days in junior high. I've never been in one of those locker rooms, but I can tell you this, and I don't know what's said, but I know they didn't start practicing for it yesterday. They didn't start practicing for it last Monday. They started two weeks ago. It's been two weeks since the last game, and even longer, of course, the season started way back in July. They've been working out. They've been practicing. They've been going over offensive schemes, defensive schemes, all kinds of preparation, which, of course, begins in a kind of a classroom. They've got to see what's supposed to happen, ideally. It won't necessarily happen on the field. I know that much about it. Uh, But they learn plays. They learn what to do from their minds so that their minds will direct their bodies to do what needs to be done. So it is with us. We've got to plan. It takes some mental action first. We've got to plan. We've got to have an agenda. They've certainly got one today, I can tell you. They have been going over time and again, time and again. I remember the words of General then, uh, Eisenhower, how he said, uh, before battle, plans are everything. But when the first shot is fired, plans are useless. Plans are useless. But it starts there. And we've got a war going on. 
And unless we plan something, it won't happen for sure because we are on a battlefield against General Satan. And he has all his minions doing his will in a near-perfect way. And we need to battle against him. Let them not turn back to folly. Let them not turn back to sin. But the opposite way. But then he says, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Glory won't happen without the Lord. Uh, We may think it will, but it won't. We need the glory of the Lord, which has to do with His Word, His people, and they're living faithful lives before all the public. But then, he goes on to tell us, essentially, watch for the grace of God. Watch for it. Be alert for the grace of God. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. He knows that the steadfast love, that the love of God is steadfast. It will stay on His people. But they need to wake up and understand that. The steadfast love will come back. And faithfulness, meet. He will dispense that to His people. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. They belong together. The righteousness of God, the righteousness of His Word, the righteousness of His law. It will be together and come for His people. And then He's he's got this assurance. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. Of course He will. And when we ask for it, He will give it. And our land will yield its increase. They had been suffering a drought. It had, their crops somehow had just gone kaflui. Didn't work. Didn't grow. But the Lord will bring it back. Of course, all of us know anything about flowers, gardening. You've got to have the right climate. You've got to have heat. You've got to have water. Moisture, heat, the right climate. Only one person controls it. A lot of people try to predict it, don't they? A lot of people, the weather will do so and so. It will snow, it will rain, the sun will come out, whatever. But they don't control it. And that's only God. And we've got to seek Him in that. We've got to ask His blessing. And He's confident that our land will yield its increase righteousness will go before him. If we will repent, if we will turn, he will come back and make his footsteps away. Uh, He will come back to us. He will walk back to us, in other words, in a spiritual sense, to mix some metaphors. He will walk back. He will come back if we seek him in that way. Well, I know we've all heard Uh, that verse if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways I will come back I will come back two things if my people will pray 
Number one, pray. And then secondly, turn from their wicked ways. That's what's being called on here. Remembered, asked for, that God will come back, that He will visit. I think I've shared this statement with you before about Dallas Cowboy football coach Tom Landry one time before his death spoke to a statewide meeting of Fellowship of Christian Athletes of which I was a sponsor back in the late 80s. He spoke at one of the big hotels in Jackson at a banquet, a luncheon. And he said, you know, really, and this was a theme of his message. He said, my job. What do you think his job is? He had it well summarized after a lot of years. He said, my job is to make grown men do what they don't want to do in order to become what they've always wanted to be. What didn't they want to do? They didn't want to work out. They didn't want to give physical effort. They didn't want to day by day train their bodies and their minds, as we know, to do hard work. Hard physical and mental work. They take a big beating. Do what they don't want to do in order to become what they always wanted to be from little boys. Champions. The victors. The winners. Now we as believers have that same mission statement. To be what we don't want to do. To repent of our sins to leave them behind, to walk away from them, give them up, hurt our minds and bodies in a way to do that in order to be what God wants us to be. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for this blessed word. We ask your blessing on our church the church universal, the body of Christ, that people group that names the name of Jesus, calls on His salvation, declares it to the world. We want a revival, Lord. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? In Jesus' name, amen.